This is A Drink with a Friend. I'm Tish Oxenreiter. And I'm Seth Haynes. All right, Seth. So we're going to be talking about the idea of legacy and vocation and work. But before we get into it, tell me what you're drinking. So, you know, I'm really fond of Onyx coffee. We've we've talked about this <laughs> once or 70 times. Um, but, you know, the thing about Onyx coffee, and I, I love the owners. They're amazing people. They're doing amazing things for our community. But the thing is, is that if I drank it, for every cup of coffee, I would go just flat busted. Um, mm-hmm. So I can't do that. I can't just drink Onyx as much as I would like. So today I have opted instead for a delightfully uh, proletariat roast, I'll put it that way, uh, from Aldi uh, Supermarket. Perfect. It's their donut blend. Nice. That should nice. tell you how blue collar I'm rolling today. I love it. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. We we have this phrase that we've had since our trip around the world, which is when everything's awesome, nothing's awesome. And so that speaks into that idea, I think. Like if you ju- if you drink the good stuff too much, you lose the taste for it, which sounds so snobby. And I don't mean it in such a bougie way. I mean, like it's not necessary all the time. And so that when you have it, it's great. Yeah. And you lose that sort of uh, treat uh, mystique to it, you know. Um, yep. That's so. Right. Anyway, that's what I'm drinking today. What are you drinking today? I'm drinking actually kind of a similar type of coffee. Um, it's just a Honduras blend from the grocery store at HEB because Slim Pickens, man, we don't have a lot in our grocery stores right now. Um, after Snowpocalypse last week, um, we get what we get. We don't throw a fit. So that, yeah, that's great. I feel like I feel like we should reach out to HEB and maybe consider a sponsorship because you are mm-hmm. an HEB apologist. I was actually about to say the same thing with you with Onyx. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so we could do both. Mm-hmm. We could have both. Um, so what I did do, though, is because today's high is literally 70 degrees. Um, I put some ice cubes in it. So it's iced coffee. And I put a splash of Kahlua because we survived oh. last week. <laughs> yeah, you made it. Congratulations. Made it. So I'm drinking Kahlua and coffee over ice cubes um, on this weekday afternoon because and, and I guess I guess we should say that if you're listening to this in the morning um, it's not quite so early as you think no. Tish, Tish doesn't have a morning drinking problem I don't this is near the end of my work day in fact when we're done here I'm gonna go get dinner on the table so that's right love it <laughs> so um gosh speaking of ending work um I love this topic that we want to talk about today, this idea of vocation and what it is we do and why what it is we do matters. And I also like the the idea, because I think a lot of our listeners can resonate um, with the idea of just like, what is work even, you know, because we all do it. Some of us get paid to do it. Some of us don't. Yeah. And, and yet, regardless, it is at minimum eight hours of our days for many of us, it's like nearly all our waking days, if not all our waking days, you know, if you are a parent to babies or something of that effect. So work is a big deal for all of us. Um, And we all want that sense of meaning. And yet it's really hard to find. So tell me a little bit, Seth, why this idea even um, strikes a chord with you. Well, I um, have worn several hats in my working career. Uh, I've been, I mean, everything from a computer salesperson at Office Depot uh, in my pre-law school years. I didn't know that. Yep. You learn something new every day, don't you? I once knew how to build a computer from the ground up. 
That's that sh- insane. Okay. That should Hope, tell you something. Not to rabbit trail. Have you seen Chuck, that series from like 10 years ago? I have not. Oh, okay. So I, I was curious if you were part of that nerd herd type of group, but either way, that's another life. No, that was not me. I was not a computer builder because I was a nerd. I was a computer builder because I was newly married and had to put uh, food on the table. Right. Which at that time was like tuna mac because that's yeah. what we could afford. As and, one does. Yep. Yeah. And donut shop coffee. But anyway, um, so yeah, so I've done that. Um, I went to law school. I've been an attorney, a practicing attorney since 2004. Um, so what is that? 16 years now? Um, yeah, 16 years. Crazy. Um, and I, I also, I mean, you know, this, I help edit people's manuscripts. I help people write manuscripts. Um, I write my own work. So I kind of have a jack of all trades sort of, uh, you know, career where I'm essentially telling stories for a living. And, and as I was thinking about that, you know, sometimes that is intensely boring. Can I say that? (laughs) <laughs> it feels so meaningless. Uh, you know, I mean, there are times when you're just, you know, churning out the paperwork um, really to, to, to make the dollar uh, to provide for your family or whatever. And there's that sort of mind numbing uh, quality uh, to the work. There are times when it's intensely um, interesting. There are times, if I'm being honest, where I'm working on a manuscript for someone and I, I, I don't believe them. And, <laughs> and, and, and so you know, in those situations, I find myself thinking like, does this work matter? Is this work actually doing more harm than good? Um, And so over the last really six months, but then particularly over the last six days, I've been really thinking a lot about what does it mean to do good sacramental work? You know, the theme on this podcast is we keep talking about sacramentality, about finding God in all things. And if we're going to do work eight hours a day, it seems to me that we should be looking for God in the very place we work, which means we should be looking for meaningful work, which also means that if our work is mind-numbing, we should be looking for the meaning in that mind-numbing work. And so I just kind of raised this with you this week, and you said, hey, yeah, let's talk about it, because my understanding is that you've actually thought about this a lot, (laughs) a lot more than I have. I've thought about it a lot. Doesn't mean I have come to any, you know, conclusions or epiphanies that that are brilliant that no one else has ever thought of. But I definitely have thought about this a lot. You know, um, not too long ago, I went through coach training um, because I was thinking I would get into coaching. I don't necessarily sense that direction anymore, but that doesn't mean I I don't still love the thought of helping people figure out what they're good at and what's meant for them and how to basically make choices. Um, I just love that concept. So I think about it a lot. It doesn't mean I know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, I think it is, this is such an interesting topic because there was a study done, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago by Gallup, you know, which is a secular organization. So they weren't necessarily tying in the sacramentality between work and um, meaning per se, uh, you know, why we exist here on earth. And yet they they found that of all the domains of life, um, and they named five, and I won't get into them now, but the number one that the number one domain that determines somebody's ability to thrive besides just survive, like we talked about last week, is their work, meaning it was above family, relationships, even physical health. It was the idea of meaningful work is is the number one cause of overall feeling like 
you know, you exist for a reason. And I just thought that was so interesting that that matters that much to us, you know, and that to me tells us a little bit about our humanity and how we were made to begin with. And, you know, not to get all super religious here, but when we read the ancient text of the Old Testament, we see that the Hebrews explained the idea of the fall of humanity at the Garden of Eden, and before the, quote, fall happened, the Adam and Eve worked. Like, work existed before the idea of sin and evil. And so that should tell us that somehow work isn't evil. <laughs> and so work is good, and we're made for work. And we're probably, you know, if you are like-minded and you believe that there is more to this particular life and we will be surprised by what we see when we pass on, um, there will very likely be work because if there was work in the garden, there's probably work in paradise. Just a thought. Um, And so what does that mean about work? Does that mean that it is all drudgery or all a curse or all shackles? perhaps in this life, perhaps in the way we do it, perhaps in our brokenness, but maybe not in our core, like humanity, the core of how we're made. And I just find that fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the indicators for me um, that work shouldn't be all drudgery, that it's, it's, it's not, you know, some product of evil or brokenness or whatever, is that, you know, in your time off, what do you do? Uh, so many people in their time off still work and enjoy it. I have a friend, a very dear dear friend. His name is Nicholas. And Nicholas is a just absolutely eaten up with his yard. He loves his yard. He loves his grass. I've actually never seen somebody so committed to their grass. I think it's like (laughs) if you were to order the commitments in his life, it would be like his religious fervor, his wife, his kids, and then his grass. Like it's, It's that serious. Um, he has, in fact, created a spreadsheet to help him understand when to fertilize and aerate and do all this crazy stuff to his grass. And I wow. guarantee that that spreadsheet took him hours to make. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and then the amount of work that he puts on his grass um, throughout the year takes hours, too. And that's work. But if you ask him about it, he beams. He is smiling all the time. Um, so there's this sense in which like he's doing this very beautiful, creative thing. And he actually says like, this is part of my tending, uh, to the garden, tending to nature. Um, and so for me, this is actually like restorative tending to co-creating, uh, work. And it gives me a whole lot of life. Now his nine to five is great. He likes it too. Um, but you know, that the, there, there is amount of, of paper pushing. There is an amount of, you know, just mundane administrative things that, that happen there. Um, but when you get him talking about the work he does on his lawn I mean, he never raises the mundane, he never raises the administrative task. And I think we could all find some area in life where that is true for us. I know it's true for me this weekend. Um, I know, you know, this Amber and I got away for a little bit. And in the morning, uh, Sunday morning, super early, I was working on a writing project that I've been working on for a really long time. And she said, um, do you ever stop working? And, and she kind of started laughing. And I said, oh, this doesn't actually feel like work. This actually brings me life. Yeah. Um, now, the truth is it is work. 
but it brought me life and I wasn't considering it and thinking of it as work because there's something that was transcendent, um, it, you know, to me at least in the project, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one of the indications of what you're talking about is like, we all have areas, uh, things we do that others would look at and say, oh, that's work. Why are you doing that? But they bring us life and bring us joy. Yeah. And for some people that is spreadsheets, you know, and that's, that's a type of, uh, you know, spreadsheets about grass. Yes. And, and I, I don't say that in a um, jeering way. I say that in a delightful, that is impressive kind of way, because that's not how I made. And yet I'm glad there are people like him, you know, yes. um, I, I like the thought, and I think this is so important in our Western postmodern world. I like the thought of separating work from money, like the idea of work from where we get a paycheck. And I think that is so important because for a lot of us, you know, a lot of people listening, perhaps they um, are part of a family where there's one income earner. That doesn't mean that the non-income earner doesn't work. I mean, we all know that. Um, And yet it's easy to equate work with paycheck. And so it starts feeling like, do I even work at all? Um, I also think there's a lot of us who have nine to fives that we perhaps don't love or feel, you know, feels like some form of paper pushing. And yeah. yet, and yet it's not like we can just stop doing it for, you know, whatever it is we love doing oil painting <laughs> um, because we've got kids right. and, and responsibilities. And so work doesn't equal paycheck. And I think that's really important for us to remember when we think about what is it we do and what is it, you know, how do we find meaning in our lives and in our day to day, really? Yeah. Now, a lot of people might say, you know, this is a really easy topic for you to talk about, Tish, because you're a writer and a podcaster. And boy, who wouldn't want to be a writer and a podcaster? So um, here's my question for you. Just because you have your quote unquote dream job, does that mean that you don't struggle with this idea that your work matters from time to time? I struggle with it daily. I struggle with it hourly. And I think the reason is because, um, it is work. Like it's not easy. And I know that's such a duh thing. I don't think anybody thinks writing a book is easy, but I think we still have this idea of if it is your dream job, like what it's, whatever it is you're made to do, then it doesn't feel like work. What is that saying that you hear sometimes? Like, yeah. If you have, if you have your dream job, you'll never work a day in your life. Or if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Oh my gosh. I don't know if Kyle has the beeping sound effect, but that is such bullcrap. Right. Um, <laughs> right. He it should is, use it. Yeah, he should. It is it is not true. I there are so many parts of my work that I don't like. Here here's the weird thing. I love writing and I hate writing. And I feel like I know I feel like most writers I know say that. Yeah. Um I love teaching and I hate teaching. I love parenting and I hate parenting, man. Yeah, I mean, right, right. And so and the reason is because we live in a broken world where um work is hard. The work is in some ways cursed. Um, and the work is meaningful and given to us to do, and we would be lost without it. And we would not find meaning on earth without it. So it's both and, you know, yeah. I mean, there is a reason the richest people in the world still work. Yeah. You know, if, if it was all about the money, Elon Musk would be, I don't know, doing whatever it is when one is literally the richest person on the planet. Instead, he is constantly building new stuff, you know? Yeah. So it's not about the money. And, and so for people that think, you know, she has her dream job, of course she can talk about, um, vocation, like it's no big deal. I still struggle with it and I still, 
I have to reconcile a lot of the work with the meaning part of it because of perhaps it meaning something different than it did even 20 years ago. What does it mean to be a writer in today's landscape? What does it mean to to be a teacher or a podcaster, which of course didn't exist 20 years ago, but you know, yeah. um, <laughs> there are ramifications that we are all constantly dealing with and trying to figure out. And so I feel way more like everybody else than people probably guess. And probably you do too, even as, you know, a lawyer and as a writer, you know, that has a lot of just paper pushing to do. And, you know, Kyle, and we've talked about this, both of our spouses feel this way and, and they have wildly different vocations. Um, They struggle with what's the meaning in their work as well. So it's a part of the human condition. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of power and I mean, we all know this, there's a lot of power in the me too statements, you know, but just saying, Hey, just because I have the job that you might want, or because you have the job that I might want, um, it doesn't mean that uh, it's all uh, roses and daisies. Like work is hard, and we have to struggle to make meaning from our work. Um, And you know, even when I think about uh, um, you know people that I work with and that I coach, and um, in the on the writing front, you know. the the work there isn't always the sexiest work. It's not always my favorite work, but there's something really holy about the connection with the people, you know? Um, and that's a way that I can make meaning. I can look across the table at the person and say, okay, you've been put in my path for today. And so I am going to serve you as if uh, I would serve the divine, you mm-hmm. know? Um, or when I've got my lawyer hat on, if I'm dealing with a client who's going through a stressful situation, it can be really easy to take that stress on and to say, oh, this is terrible and life is miserable and oh, this all sucks. And sometimes it does. Sometimes it's really hard. But there's an opportunity there to make meaning by saying, you know, I see you across the table. You're going through a hard time and I'm going to serve you um, as I would serve the divine. And I think that is uh, the key to finding meaning in really difficult work. I mean, you, you earlier talked about the creation story and about Adam and Eve and, and Adam and Eve, uh, you know, as it, well, Adam, as he was walking through the garden was tasked with naming animals, right? And so he was naming the animals and doing the work of cultivating the garden and doing these things because God told him to. So it was as if he was serving God. And um, I, I think for me, that's where the core of the matter really comes down to. No matter what we do, are we doing it as if we're serving God? And again, not to bang the Ignatian drum again, but it goes back to the principle and foundation of St. Ignatius of Loyola, who said, yeah. you know, that we have been created to love, serve, and reverence God, um, and that we're to use all things to love, serve, and reverence Him. And that would include work. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I think it really gets down to that word that you keep saying that I think is at the crux of this is matter, that my work matters or meaning has meaning. I think we have to really ask ourselves, well, what do we even mean by that? You know, so when we say, I wish my work mattered, or I wish there was some meaning to my daily nine to five. Well, what do you mean by that? And I think that's maybe where people get stuck because we picture this idea of meaning looking like, you know, going to places that are really needing something and meeting that need in a real tangible way yeah. or curing cancer or, you know, the, these huge, you know, 
all caps needs. When for most of us, the vast majority of us, we are staying within our, you know, what, 10 mile radius. And the needs involve putting spaghetti on the table at night. And so it starts feeling like, wait, is this what we mean by meaning? Is this what we mean by mattering? And so I think it's essential to stop and ask that question. And so not again, to bring it back to the 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 monks, but let's do it. St. Benedict's rule of life, I think, matters so much. The idea of creating a rule of life and yeah. honestly tying it with uh, St. Ignatius's idea of um, contemplation and going through your life and, and um, examining how God uses you in the here and now to come up with your rule of life so that these things do matter. You yeah. know, this is this is why I ultimately create one and I revisit it every year or twice a year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that kind of stuff matters. Yeah. And I think to go, to even be a little bit more explicit, um, you know, I, I think if there's one thing that I w- would hope that this uh, show would be known for, it's for saying the things that nobody really wants to say, but we're just going to by God say them anyway. Yeah. And I think one of the things that really trips us up in the meaning, um, you know, making meaning conversation, particularly with work, is damned social media. Um, You know, it it makes us feel like if we're not uh, seen, if we're not recognized, if we're not retweeted, if we're not uh, the great big personality, if our Instagram account doesn't blow up, if we're not an influencer, that somehow we matter less than the great big, you know, insert the name of any influencer in any industry who is, you know, really shaking it up, you know, making a name for themselves. Um, And I think really what I sense lately, um, and by lately, I mean in the last five years, is that the work that is, uh, you know, described as meaningful or that people attribute meaning to is the work of the celebrity. And that is just not true. Uh, You know, it is not true that in order for your, you know, habit coaching, you know, uh, to, to be recognized as meaningful, that you have to have as many uh, followers as, you know, somebody who's in that space and just absolutely killing it. You know, it does not mean that if you're a local CrossFit coach, um, that, that you have to be as popular as, you know, CrossFit, you know, Boston or whatever, you know, whatever the big box is up there. Like, it doesn't mean that if you're um, an attorney to have your, your, work matter, that you have to be as influential as the uh, attorney that finds themselves on, you know, CNN as a talking head. Celebrity does not equal meaning. Um, And I think when we equate those things, oftentimes we're doing it out of a self of sense important, self-importance and ego. And it's actually the opposite of asking ourselves, does our work love, serve and reverence God? Hey guys, a quick break to give a really big thank you to our sponsor, Rothy's. They've been an amazing longtime sponsor and I really love what they're about. Rothy's makes shoes and bags that are sustainable, beautiful, stylish, eco-friendly, and all those other adjectives to basically say super durable and machine washable. I've been wearing both their Chelsea boots and their flats for a couple of years now. Both still look brand new and are as comfortable as the day when I first got them. I wore my boots today to teach my high school classes, in fact. They're easy to dress up or down, and they go with almost everything. 
I'm also loving Rothy's new line of lace-ups, and along with her bags, they also now have washable face masks for both adults and kids. All the fabric they use is made from recycled plastic water bottles, and yet it's super soft and amazingly comfortable, just right for a zero break-in period. So far, Rothy's has transformed over 70 million single-use plastic bottles into unique and amazing stuff. And maybe best of all, when your shoes, bags, and masks are ready for a refresh, they're fully machine washable. No more soaking and scrubbing by hand. You just toss it all in with the laundry. So check out all their evolving styles of flats, sneakers, sandals, boots, bags, and all of their colors and patterns by going to rothys.com slash friend. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash friend. Rothy's is where style and sustainability meet to create the shoes and bags you've been looking for. So one more time, that's rothys.com slash friend. All right, back to our chat. It reminds me a little bit of um, Seth Godin, who is well known as, you know, a thinker in the marketing space. He talks about, it was a few years ago, he went to give a talk in Iceland and he was initially disappointed by the size of the crowd. And I don't even remember the numbers. Like he, you know, his, his gut, he he hated that, but yet there it was, he was disappointed until he did the math and realized it was like 0.6 of the entire population of Iceland or whatever it is, you know, 0.6%. Yeah. Um, and so his point being, it all has to do with where you're meant to serve, yeah. you know, that that is it about a sheer numerical value or is it about you know reaching that which you are meant to reach yeah and i think that's what our culture gets so wrong and you know if we're going to go there i think one step further beyond the celebrity culture is the christian celebrity culture yeah, totally. you know i mean it is messed up this idea of whoever says the wittiest thing has the prettiest little shareable quote picture on instagram and it drives me bonkers. And I know, you know, you, you like Instagram more than I do, but I really struggle with this. Perhaps this is a whole other <laughs> side topic. Yeah. Um, because of that, because to me, yeah. it, it really feeds into it. And it's not about me and my work. I am fine with other people having bigger numbers than me. That does not matter to me one iota. It has to do with what are we doing as a society here? Yeah. I don't want to be held responsible for people's screen addiction yeah. and for people's, um, you know, it's it's not only is it not good for the person to be worshipped, it's not good for us to worship other people. Yeah. And and so I don't think it's healthy as a society that we we equate more meaning, more mattering to those who say it loudest or who say yeah. it first or who say it prettiest. And that's what we're yeah. doing. Yeah. And it incentivizes people too to move into work that's not theirs. Yeah. It's not theirs to that's do. You know, right. you, you may not be um the the writer. You may not be called to be a writer. You may not be called to be a financial planner. You may not be called to be an attorney. Um, but if when you watch the people in your, um, you know, in the industry that you love so much or that you want to be in, in Christian influencing or Christian writing is one of those spaces for sure. Um, if you see people uh, being loud and and getting following and getting traction, and that's where you want to be, and incentivizes you to act in the same way, when maybe you're called to do a different kind of work altogether. Or yeah. maybe you're called to do the same work in a smaller way, 
in a much more meaningful way in your personal life. You know, maybe you're called um, to do a quieter kind of work. I, I've been reading, you know this, because I said this in the last episode, I've been reading Heather King's uh, Shirt of Flame. And I don't remember if it was in the introduction or if it was in the first chapter, but she actually talks about her writing career. And she was describing it um, in really disappointing terms. Now, she had also described the fact that she had written several books. She had uh, produced several uh, stories for a very, very well-known uh, NPR podcast um, and, and, and radio show that's amazing. Um, she's won several awards. And as she was talking about it, she almost was saying like, why didn't I ever get my big literary breakthrough? And as I was reading it, I was like, holy crap, I wish I could write that many books and I wish I could be on the same podcast and those sorts of things. And what it demonstrated to me is that we all look up chain and say, man, their work really has meaning. Now I will say as a mature writer, she was very quick to point out that that she has been called to do the thing that she's been called to do. And she's, you know, faithfully pursued that. And as a result, I love her writing. I think it's amazing. I think it's, um, it's really sweet because it's not trying, it's not over trying, I think, as you see with a lot of uh, writers, but, but I think it demonstrated to me that we all tend to look upstream and say, Oh, the person that's just a little bit ahead of me, their work matters. And that creates this sort of striving, um, this sort of incentivization to do things that we might not otherwise do if we were just really comfortable with the fact that we are where we have been called to do the work that we have been called to do in service of the divine, in service of God, in a way that demonstrates his love to the world around us and finds him in it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why the word legacy matters to this conversation. Um, The idea of what we leave behind, I think, is a better metric than um, what are people celebrating right now. I think the two questions that come to mind whenever I think about my work, and I'm still debating whether this is particular to my line of work, but I, I think I could see this applying to other types of work too. The two are, what will people be celebrating 100 years from now? Yeah. And I don't mean that to say your work only matters if it will last in a hundred years, because no way. My point is simply, I mean, maybe this is kind of tied into that Lent idea of memento mori, you know, we're all going to yeah, die. Yeah, yeah. Um, the things that people were talking about a hundred years ago, the well-known thinkers and pop culture and, you know, music or whatever, we're not talking about anymore. So yeah. that should give us both some sobering reality and a, a lot of freedom, you know? Yep. Um, and then two, what will my family tree look like when I'm gone? Um, because to me, that's that, I mean, to take a pun a step further, that's what really grounds me, this idea yeah. of a tree. Um, in what way do I want my family tree to be better? Because I was a branch in it. You know, whether that looks like solid faith, whether that looks like a lover of really good stories, mm. um, a lover of nature, financial literacy, a lover yeah. of the world. I don't know, whatever. It almost like doesn't matter except so long as it ties into your overall meaning for existing. Yeah. I think that matters so much more than did I get talked about today? And did I get talked about more than these other people? You know, there's even this idea of like, be better, be a better version of yourself than you were yesterday. Yeah. And while I appreciate that to some degree, I think that can leave us exhausted mm-hmm. because that makes us, that puts us on this hamster wheel of acting 
or thinking like nothing's ever good enough. Yeah. And that's, that's what our culture gets wrong and, and leaves us exhausted and wanting more. Which is why I think a better metric is, did I find more meaning in my life today than I did yesterday? And mm. by meaning, I mean, capital M, you know, the, the meaning of what it means to find God in all things, including mm. your work. Did I find more meaning in my work today than I did yesterday? That doesn't mean, was it more fun? It doesn't mean, did it get retweeted more if that's, you know, your endeavor? Um, it didn't mean, did the portfolios I manage, you know, return more profits? It's, did I find God present in all things, including work, more today than I did yesterday? And if I didn't, recalibrate around the idea that there is meaning in the work that you do, no matter how big or small it is, no matter if it's, you know, changing diapers for another year um, or again, whether it's managing, you know, the largest piece of litigation in your state uh, at any given point, like finding meaning in the work that you do, capital M meaning has got to be the focus, not any other metric that would prop up your ego or pad your bank account or because all of those things are ultimately at the end of the day fleeting. Yeah. Yeah. And to and to bring this really practical, because I can hear some listeners thinking, you know, Seth, I totally agree with you. But what is that meaning? You know, or how do I find that meaning? Um, it's not at all to say we have all the answers, because I am right there in the thick of trying to figure this out um, with everybody else. But for me, you know, this might be my writerly nature, but I also think just I don't know what I think until I write it. Um, it helps me to literally legit name by writing what matters to me. So like, yeah. This morning, legit, in my journal, I asked the question, what do I really care about this week? You know, as I start a new week, what do I care about? And I made a list of things I care about, honoring God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving and serving my family well, having the mindset of Christ to serve, not be served, and then fulfilling my commitments, writing my book, podcasting, teaching my students, keeping my house, loving my family, um, and then connecting with the readers and listeners I'm meant to have who... God wants me to connect with. And that's it. And then um, I have this document. I update every class day when I'm in, in our school that is only for me. Nobody sees it. And I literally write at the top. Um, I have this thing that I just work on like a catechism. What is my purpose in this in teaching these English classes? And my answer is to lead teenagers to truth through good and beautiful literature, to deepen yeah. their poetic knowledge, and to improve their communication skills with writing. And I have to repeat that because if I go in and I think, okay, my goal today is to seem just a little bit cooler to these 16 year olds, mm, yeah. it's, it's going to not only not work, it's, I mean, it's going to do the opposite effect because they can smell that a mile away, but also that I don't really care about that. And I have to remember, what do I really care about? Oh, it's help these kids read and write better. I have to remember that. And so I think, you know, if you're listening and thinking, you know, how do I do this in the middle of the day when all I've got on my agenda are diaper changing and, you know, mess cleaning to actually legit write it down? It might yeah. help. Yeah. Or it, it may also mean if you are a, you know, online influencer, stepping back and saying, what am I influencing people toward? Am I influencing people toward, um, you know, something that's vacuous or something that's fleeting or something that's only there for a moment? Or am I using my gifts, my calling to influence people towards a greater meaning, a bigger meaning, whether religious or secular? It doesn't matter. But am I, in, am I using what I have um, to, to really encourage people 
on to greater meaning or am I doing this to, to sort of uh, assuage something or to prop something up that is, uh, you know, mine, me, yeah. uh, my bank account, again, my, my influence, my numbers, my, my ego, whatever the thing is. Um, I think it's really important to ask ourselves those questions, especially in a day and age that is so connected and so um, metric, me- metric oriented. Yep. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, this doesn't mean everything needs to be like deep or um, even spirit focused. I mean, even though, you know, we kind of believe in the idea of sacramentality that everything <laughs> um, has that spiritual element to it. But I think it's important to remember what we're saying here is not necessarily um, how holy am I presenting myself or how much am I, I I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like it's perfectly fine to talk about good music and something you saw on TV. Yeah. It's a matter of posture. It's a matter of why are you doing what you're doing? And I think that's what you're getting at ultimately this meaning. Yeah. And I've stepped back from uh, Twitter and Facebook, you know, this for Lent Yeah, Um, again, not Instagram because I love love Instagram, (laughs) especially the photographers that they add so much to my life. Um, But I've stepped back from Twitter and Facebook and I'm asking those questions. Like, what does it mean to use those platforms in a way that is intensely personal, but also, you know, it points to deeper meaning to bigger meaning. And I, I think art does point to bigger meanings. I think music and, and literature and our own writing when we do it well and the writing of other people uh, when they do it well, I, I think all of that points uh, to bigger meanings. Sometimes I feel like a good joke, a well-placed joke or, or you, know, you know, sharing your sense of humor yeah. um, can even point to those things. Um, but I just want to take a break and say, you know, it is what I'm doing is how I'm using these platforms. Um, is it giving folks a sense um, that they have to do certain things to matter um, that they have to have a certain number of followers to matter that they have to tweet in a certain way or Facebook in a certain way or, or, you know, pick the proper cause in order to matter. Yeah. Um, and I see a lot of that and I just, I don't believe it. I just don't believe um, that constantly giving yourself to the churn of, of the metric oriented and driven society is a way to prove that your work matters. Yeah, it's good. And it's a good reminder during Lent, you know, that you're dust and you're going to be dust again soon. And so, um, make sure what you're doing has a point and a purpose and, and points to something bigger than yourself. Yeah. So as we continue having this conversation with other people, um, particularly people who may not be uh, in the same world that we are, who aren't, you know, maybe so neurotic about uh, numbers (laughs) and sales and uh, metrics on social media, um, maybe we can ask them where they find meaning in their day-to-day work and, and how they find meaning in creating things or selling things or providing certain services or, you know, what is it to them Um, that drives their meaning, whether it's a secular purpose or a religious purpose or whatever. Yeah. I mean, there's so many good people that uh, listen to this and that we're connected with. Um, I know you have similar experiences. The people that subscribe to my newsletter share such great insight uh, to their just daily life that I think, you know, all of this has nothing really to do with the fact that we are literally hosting a podcast, you know? I mean, all of this rings true for 
the accountant and the grocery store clerk and the stay-at-home mom and the dentist, you know? Um, And I want to learn from all these people. So we are definitely going to keep this conversation going. In fact, I think this might be at the crux of a lot of what we mean when we talk about beauty mattering that, you know, we're not all Michelangelo's, but, but the dentist can be a Michelangelo of the teeth. I don't know. Michelangelo of the teeth. teeth. Right. (laughs) All right. So, Seth, since we'd like to talk about the things that are adding more beauty to your, our lives, what are you reading, watching, or listening to these days? Well, I promised that I would report back in on Shirt of Flame. And so that's what I'm going to do today because I've been reading it. Um, I've actually been devouring it. Um, I'm a lot farther through a week in um, than I thought I would be. I'm almost I'm about halfway through the book. Um, and actually it's really interesting because it's a book about, um, in which, uh, Heather King is drawing sort of parallels from her own life and the life of Therese of Lisieux. And it's really fascinating because again, Therese of Lisieux was a, a, a sister, you know, she was in a cloister, um, yeah. and she's the one we know, but there were so many other, uh, women in that cloister with her that, that, you know, went about their day doing little things and praying uh, big prayers for the community. And and we don't know their names. Um, and so again, like even on this conversation, we ascribe meaning to, to Therese of Lisieux and for very, very good reason. I mean, just yeah. amazing, amazing saint. Um, but that doesn't mean that the prayers and the work of the other women that she was uh, with matter less or mean uh, less. It's just that she's, she's the role model. But anyway, uh, Heather King really draws this out very, very well in the book, and it is uh, really well done. And and she kind of writes with this sort of um, nod to her own brokenness in ways that's really self-effacing and, and really authentic and, and genuine. Um, Mary Carr has written an essay called, I think it's called Against Decoration. Have you read this essay? Not at all, but I love Mary Carr. It's a really great essay, and it's an essay about poetry and just about mm-hmm. sort of stop you know, stop trying to sound fancy in your poetry. I mean, if I'm going to put it in my Arkansas way, it's stop trying to sound fancy. <laughs> um, and I think Mary Carr would appreciate that being from Texas. Um, right. But, but when I read King, that is the sense I get. Like mm. she is against decoration. She is doing what she has been called to do. She's doing it well. Um, and she's against decoration in a way that is really, um, man, it's refreshing. So yeah, that's what I'm reading. And I am absolutely loving it. Love it. That sounds good. I'm going to add it to my list. Yeah, you should. You should. So what are you reading or watching or listening to that is bringing (laughs) more beauty to your life? Well, it is just as deep and it is WandaVision on Disney Plus. Have you watched it yet? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It's bizarre. And I leave every episode more confused than the last, except for the last one. I think I finally got some answers. Yep. Um, my daughter especially is a Marvel nerd. Like she gets into the backstories and knows the timeline and the back, you know, the relationships between them all. And so she gets all excited. And then I like at somebody saying something, then I look over and like, okay, what did I just miss? And it's just so fun. It it's fun for a couple of reasons. One, I it's just great art. Like it is. Yeah. I love how well they have executed the show. Yes. It is just a masterpiece to watch. Two, I love it when we can find something to watch as a family that doesn't suck and that isn't um, just something 
geared to the kids. Yeah. Like it's for all of us and it doesn't scar anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that. And yeah. so I'm a big fan of WandaVision. Yeah, I have loved it. The twist at the end was one of those moments uh, this this last week where we all just stopped and said, what? <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, it was. I want to actually rewatch all of them just so that by the next one, I feel like my head's in a better space because yeah. it. I, I with every episode, I now want to go back and rewatch the one before it because I feel like I missed something. And so, because the first, I don't know how you felt, but like the first two, I was just trying to figure out what the heck was going on. Like, what is, what is this about? And why are we watching this? And now I can't stop. Yeah. And I will say my one critique of the show is that I couldn't binge watch the first four episodes, which I think would have really helped me get in a rhythm. And I actually think that they lost viewers that way. I have friends who said I couldn't make it past the first two. And I've just said, you've got, you've got to go back and and start over and just keep watching. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's a little bit of a I vacillate on that because on the one hand, I feel like that says something about our culture. Like, yes. no, you can do this. Come yeah, on. Right. <laughs> Be a grown up here. This is what we used to do when we were adults. On the other hand, I mean, when we were kids. On the other hand, that's just not how the world works anymore. We're all in lockdown and we just need a good story to get lost into. And so I I get that desire to just plunge in and deep dive and not come up for air for a while. So Yeah. I, you know. I mean, I like I like the idea. Um, as you know, one of my favorite shows is The Expanse, and mm-hmm. they did this weekly release. Um, I think that they released two or three episodes during week one, and then they did the weekly release. And I really like that. Um, yeah. A lot of people bagged on it and hate it, but I really like that. It builds a sense of anticipation. It actually mm-hmm. probably smooths out their content calendar, so they don't have to keep churning out crap shows. Um, which I appreciate. Um, but with WandaVision, I felt like if you had given us four episodes to do that at the beginning, it Mm -hmm. might've, it might've captured people a little bit more because by episode four, you're in. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, I know my mom watched the first two and she's like, what the heck is this? This Yeah. Right. You know, and I think a lot of people felt this way. So if that's you and you gave up, go back and watch them again because you might get hooked. And I would say, even if you're not a super Marvel nerd, you would get into it, though you might miss some things. And I'm grateful for Tate sitting next to me because she has to explain, well, you see, this person is this person in Captain Marvel, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it's helpful to know that kind of stuff. So, all right. Well, it is time to wrap this up. Uh, we would love to hear from you if there's something like one division or short of flame that is adding more beauty to your life. So leave us a short voicemail at 401-684-GOOD. And um, we would like to share it with the podcast. We're gonna, I want to start doing that more. I've got a buildup of people leaving really cool voicemails. So we're going to add more to these shows. Uh, so you can find a link to that as well um, as the show notes and transcripts at adrinkwithafriend.com. And as always, you can support our individual work via our newsletters. But if you want to support the show, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash drinks. A lot of you are doing that lately, which is really great because um, for just a few bucks, you help keep the lights on around here. And we really appreciate that. You can find me at tishoxenwriter.com. And that's where everything is, my newsletter and all my little socials and all the all the things, my books. Seth, where can people find you? I'm not quite as organized as you yet. So you can find me at sethhaines.substack.com or sethhaines.com or anywhere you use that little at sign, Seth Haynes, at Seth Haynes. Mostly Instagram. It's what I like the best. Good. All right. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenreiter. And Caroline Tassell is our transcriber and assistant extraordinaire. I'm Tish, and Seth and I will be back here with you again soon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>